Geek Out Loud is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash geekout. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player of your choice. Audibletrial.com slash geekout. Help us out, guys. Come on. Come on, help us out. This episode of Geek Out Loud, it's a Goliverse Reads episode as we thumb through Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. Man, we're going to have some fun with some sci-fi tonight. On your safe place to geek out, this is the Geek Out Loud podcast. everyone and welcome to geek out loud my name is steve glosson so glad to be along with you on a goliverse reads episode of the show and reading along with us is this cat bald-headed rod what's up man well, I'm, I'm working now. You're, you you're, can hear me. You can hear me? Yes. Little, little technical difficulties that I hope we're editing out. Well, yeah, just before the show. like I didn't even start recording, Rod, until... Uh, I don't even know that I'm recording right now. I am recording, so we got it. Okay, we're yeah. good. We're good. Well, I mean, if we had to go through the intro and hear Taylor again, that would have been all right. Well, that's fine. You know, I, listen, I know you love some Taylor Swift. I do. When's she going to come around here? You're lucky. You get to go see Bruce. I don't get to see Taylor. I'm looking forward to seeing Bruce. I don't know why you wouldn't be. Uh, well, you know, I got to learn that album though. He's playing the river apparently, so yeah, you got time. I got to make sure I know all the songs so I can sing along and not look like an idiot there with all the other Bruce fans. And ask when, when's he going to play Santa Claus is coming to town? Exactly, guys. Why is, why has he not played Santa Claus is coming to town yet? I've been a good boy. Uh, so, <laughs> Rod, uh, how are things, man? Oh, not too bad. Uh, how how was the birthday? It was good. It was good. I went, you know, this year was the first year ever in my life that there was a Star Wars movie in a theater on my birthday. So I went and watched Star Wars and ate it five guys. That sounds like a magical birthday. It was a magical birthday all by myself. So good times. I guess you don't have to answer questions that way. That's right. And you don't have to have conversations with people and such as you just kind of do your thing and have a good time. Yeah, like I'm here to watch the movie, not answer a dozen questions. That's right. That's right. So, um, I, hope she, I hope she can't hear me. Who? <laughs> oh, you're talking about your wife. 
Nice. So, uh, uh, so Rod, we we read Ender's Game. We did in this episode. I, I was kind of surprised you hadn't read this one. Well, uh, years ago, someone tried to turn me on to it, and I just uh, never got around to it. Yeah, so. There's a lot of books that are like that, but uh, I can't remember who it was. Uh, Andy Lindemann, maybe? I think we'll talk about that. I sent you a couple emails, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just said, you know, it's it's a lot harder for an adult to get into this book and enjoy it than a child. Like, it really is a young adult book. Yeah. And I don't I do know. like it. And it, has it, it has its flaws that we mm-hmm. will address. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's read some of these emails right out of the gate here. We got a lot of emails about this particular book. I know. I'm right? pretty excited. Yeah, I feel, so, I feel like we're almost a real show now. Yeah, that email. If you if you're part of the Goloverse Book Club, is GoloverseReads at gmail.com. Matthew Mark says it was a, a book he first read when he was fairly young, and he's reread it once or twice since then. But a lot of his impressions of the book come from the first time he read it. And then he gets into some of the discussion questions you posted over at uh, geekoutonline.com slash reads at our Goodreads page, uh, the Goldiverse Goodreads group over there. We'll make sure that you are seconding nominations and suggesting only sci-fi. Um, exactly. <laughs> uh, he says, uh, when you're younger, you just tend to take a book for what it is and not really question the premise. I immediately accepted they were training kids, having granted the premise. Uh, I could then see the reasons they did it. Children can pick up things quicker, so by starting the training young, they'll be better at combat than anyone who starts training as an adult. Another big thing is the fact that space combat is three-dimensional, something most movies miss. They set big battles in space, but everything still tends to take place on a two-dimensional plane. Since we tend to live on planets, we think of movement as mostly a two-dimensional thing. So by training children, they can learn to get past those notions quickly. With all that said, as an adult, it's kind of horrific what the government has done in this book. They regulate how many children couples can have. They make an exception just so they can take that third child and use them to lead their fleet. That's pretty messed up. Of course, Ender realizes what most of the government, what most that most of what government and military have done is messed up at the end of the book. Um... As far as uh, government um, using children like this, he says, from a utilitarian standpoint, it makes sense. You'd have to lie to get him. Oh, we're talking about uh, Enders, the lie. Would you lie? Uh, was it right for them to lie? You'd have to lie to him to get the results you need. However, from a moral standpoint, it's abhorrent. The computer game was a really cool and creative narrative device at first. You think it's just something Ender's doing in his spare time. Uh, but then, like Ender, it starts to go deeper, and you wonder what's really going on. I think the answer to this question is the classic both slash and. You see how Ender thinks in a way different than anyone else, and he goes somewhere the game hasn't even prepared for, and it has to adapt. We also see the recurrence of the Ender theme. Ender as one who ends. Ender destroys the giant, makes sure the giant will be able to fight back, just like he does with the bully on Earth and with Bonzo. We later learn that the game is also a way that the Formic Queen communicates with Ender. The whole concept is expanded on the sequels when Card introduces a sci-fi f- f- uh, physics concept that allows for instantaneous interstellar communication. But let's not get into that or we'll all get headaches and or fall asleep. Assuming that the sp- uh, Talking about genocide, assuming that the species is sentient, no. Genocide is not justified. In fact, if the species is not sentient, probably no. Don't commit genocide, kids. Uh, we should all learn. <laughs> uh, on the issue of change, I think all people are capable of change. I think it would take the constant influence of Valentine, though, 
Uh, we saw through the book how Peter came to do good things when he and Valentine worked together. Of course, Valentine went with Ender to the far reaches of space, so I don't know what Peter would end up like. I understand there's a series of books about Bean and Peter, and maybe some of Ender's other friends, but I haven't read them yet. Could Ender have a normal life? Well, he ends up traveling out into space at the end of the book, so I don't know what qualifies as normal. I'm reminded of Zoe's response to Wash in Serenity. When Wash remarks that something sounds like science fiction, we live on a spaceship, dear. I think the environment Ender grew up in made him more mature. It'd be like going to military school. I don't think I ever met kids in military school, but I would imagine they're more mature than most kids. Maybe someone with more experience in, in the area could prove me right or wrong. I uh, can't wait to hear the show. People like this book, right? Uh, will Steve have finished the book? Will Rod entertain us with more work-related tree-jumping anecdotes? Will Andy call in with non-sequiturs? Only time will tell. Wow, the, que- the more questions I asked, the more it felt like I was writing a show intro. May the force be with you. And that's Matt Marks uh, giving his take on Ender's Game. So he liked it. He did. Uh, he brought up some things of the genocide, obviously, something that uh, Orson Scott Card addresses throughout the series of books. You know, they, he, he progressed on. Uh, I was telling you the other day, I don't know how many people listened to it on audio, but there was that interview with Orson Scott Card where he wanted to write the sequel, Children to the uh, Speaker for the Dead, Speaker of the Dead, and they didn't want to greenlight that book because they, the original Ender's Game was a short story. Mm-hmm. So he fleshed it out, made it bigger, and then got to write Speaker, mm-hmm. Speaker of the Dead. So, well, good for, good for goes, Orson Scott. It, it goes into more of the genocide, mm-hmm. whether or not you should do that. And then, of course, at the end of the book, we find out that technically he did not commit genocide. Right. Well, there was one little egg. And from that egg, Steve... All the bugs. We'll uh, be back. Brian emailed said I wasn't able to reread for the show, but here are my responses to the questions posted on Goodreads. While children being in battle school seemed far fetched, it was fairly easy to accept that conceit when reading the book, and then the rest fell into place fairly logically. The monitoring, the global search, etc. From the perspective of the fleet, it made perfect sense that they wouldn't tell Ender about the deaths he caused. It's wrong, of course, but they had the epitome of an ends justify the means mentality. Uh, I thought. The game was more about finding someone who could see past the obvious more than someone who was ruthless, referring to the actual fantasy game that Ender was playing. Uh, The book, and so the whole series, turns on a dime in regards to defeating the Formics. It definitely does not condone what takes place as Ender goes from the hero to the villain in in human history. As much as Peter is drawn out and somewhat redeemed in the subsequent Ender and Shadow novels, his characterization in this book is so heinous and leans so much toward him being a sociopath, it's a huge stretch uh, how he could go on to do what he does. And uh, the children in Ender's Game, he says, didn't bother me that much because they're supposed to literally be the most brilliant children on the planet. But it seems to me that Card writes all the children too intelligently and articulate for their age. But everyone, including adults, reads that way. Even the parents, spoiler alert, who seem average, turn out in the other books to be just as sharp as the William kids and are just playing roles. Uh, so that's Brian chiming in with his thoughts. I, I couldn't tell if he liked it or not. He didn't reread it for the show. Well, maybe he's read it a couple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- Wendy Cooper must have loved this book. Yes. We'll see. Uh, Dear Reed's maybe. Crew, howdy from the high desert. Uh, for starters, this book was hard for uh, was a hard read for me. Children in Danger upsets me. Children put in danger by, quote, responsible, unquote, adults. Well, you can imagine my dismay. So my outlook on this book has always been shaded by that primary irksome voice in my head that says, this is not right. These people should not be doing this to this child. Other than that, it was okay. Uh, 
I think I think this was one of my big hangups with the book, Rod. Is and and we talked about it via text one day. The the authority figures in this book are horrible. Yeah, Han Solo was. Oh, I'm sorry, that's the movie. Um, yeah, they uh, they treated the kids like science experiments almost. Well, not almost. They pretty much did. Yeah, mm-hmm. especially Ender. I mean, they really put him through the ringer and put him through a lot of stuff that is not healthy for a young child to go through. I mean. The Bonzo incident, you know, they knew that was going to happen, and they just let it go. Yeah. And they just tried to push him to see how far they could, they could push him. How far will he go before he snaps? What can we expect out of this kid? Well, and what's interesting, with that Bonzo incident, the whole time Ender is thinking an adult is right around the corner. They're going to come in and stop this. They're going to come in, and they never do. Um, no, they they you know, really left the children up to their own devices a lot more than I would expect in a military school for kids. I mean, it's a Lord of the Flies situation. Piggy piggy. You know, I mean, like, it's just, it's, 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 it, it all, and it does stretch. Like, I know you're in science fiction and I know you're talking about a battle training place on the moon and later, you know, out by Saturn, but, you know, it, it stretches the bounds of credulity. I just don't think that I mean, what what would the situation have to be for us to do children this way? Well, I always felt like, you know, I tried to put it in the chat, and I'm not so good at articulating it, but with a child, they haven't fully developed their personality yet. You get to mold them more. Mm-hmm. Whereas an adult might have these preconceived notions about genocide. You know, we, well, we shouldn't wipe them out. Maybe we should study them or this and that. But a child, you know, they, they've grown up, what little growing up they've done all they know is that the buggers are bad. So they're just like, oh, let's go get the buggers and let's kill the buggers. Right. Whereas a human might be more interested in studying them or, or just not have that, or they've had a lifetime to have beliefs on what's right and wrong. Whereas a, a child, they can basically program them to think what they want. And I always felt like that's why they had children. Mm-hmm. Well, Wendy makes a, a, an interesting point as she's getting into some of these discussion questions about that. When asking about um, should they have lied to Ender, she says, of course they lied to Ender about the death of two boys. He was a conscientious child of six. And then she says, by the way, what kind of child is capable of defending himself to the degree that Ender defended himself at the age of six? Um, That's the other thing. I I feel like, and I don't know about Card's life and, and kind of what kind of man he was, he didn't seem to have a grasp. Forget the psychology side of things. You know, and and the intelligence side of things, he didn't seem to have a grasp on the physiology of children. <laughs> he, you know, uh, was it Matthew that we read that talked about Card writes children a lot, and mm-hmm. I always feel like he does write children smarter than what they would be. Mm-hmm. You know, Ender is six years old, and like Wendy says, I don't know if he'd be able to defend himself to that degree. You know, is he able to? I've got to end this now once and for all so he doesn't come back right i don't know but that's the way he's always written children and i I, you know i was doing some internet searching trying to figure out if he ever had a quote as to why he focused on children so much but i couldn't really find anything it's almost creepy Eh, a little bit you know it's it almost makes you wonder was there something in his childhood though where he wishes that this is the kind of kid that he could have been you know you know and I've read a couple of his other series, and a lot of them focus on children. And mm-hmm. a lot of them are much more mature than I was at that age. I know that. 
I think at six years old, I was worried about playing kickball. Exactly. I mean, six-year-old Steve was focused in on the Return of the Jedi's coming out. You know, um, yeah. Like it's it's just not. It's yeah, barely able barely able to read, let alone program a computer. Right. 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 Um, Wendy goes on to say, uh, I think the computer game was a gauge to see to both see if Ender could think out of the box as well as to see if he would be another Peter or at least see what he was capable of. They monitored everything, so the game would just be one more type of monitoring device. Uh, is genocide justified? I don't know. It's easy to say no, absolutely, when you're safe, but it may be something else if you're looking at your complete destruction. I don't know if Peter could be a good leader. If by good you mean benevolent and looking out for the common good of all, he was a complete psycho, so I don't think he'd be good per day. Effective, maybe. And finally, no, I don't think Ender could ever have a chance of a normal life, not normal like we know it, and not because of his childhood. He was a genius, so his life would never be what we call normal. He could find a sort of peace, maybe, but I don't think he'd be able to stand a regular life. I think he was bigger than normal life, and he'd have to expand his space in order to be happy, which is why he went to the frontier, not just because of his status or Peter or Valentine. I think he found a way eventually because Earth is too small for him. Those are my thoughts. They're rushed. And I'm sure my tenses are all jumbled, but I've been working with three-year-olds all day. It kind of gets to your brain. Uh, and that's from Wendy. She says, sent from Starkiller Bay. Mm. Yeah. I guess they got blown up. up. Yeah. And it, and it turned and it went supernova. Our good friend Doc Zinn, hero of the Goliverse, chimes in. I mainly enjoyed the war game room part of this book. All the different ways Ender was able to win the game, even when the odds were stacked against him, was very rewarding to me. I wish I could be more of an out-of-the-box thinker like Ender, but I'm more of a tight-laced, inside-the-box thinker. Do I think our government would use kids in war? Of course they'll do. They will do whatever's necessary to win. I do feel Ender had to be lied to. Too much information may have made him lose his mind. I do think genocide could be the answer if we were attacked by a people or alien race who felt it was necessary to destroy all of our kind. Could Ender have a normal childhood? Who can say? People who have a great, who've had a great childhood have been unable to adjust to society. In the end, I enjoyed the book, except for the ending. I felt it was a bit rushed. Hmm. And uh, the ending, it's kind of interesting that he felt that was rushed, and I, I wonder if that had something to do... I've never actually read the original short story to see how much of it was added on later yeah. to make it the, the novel that it is. So maybe Card added a bunch in the middle and then was like, well, this is probably enough. This is probably about long enough to be a book, and I'll tack the ending that I originally wrote on and call it good. Well, uh, yeah, it does kind of seem... It seems a bit rushed, and it seems a bit close encounters of the third kind. Like, you're just leaving? You know, that's that's kind of the... I'm like, you're... I'm, I'm, I'm reading this thing, I'm like, so you're just leaving and going further out into space? And I knew why. I understood, you know, he had the egg, he wanted to go you know, seed a new world and that sort of thing. But it's just like. And I wonder if that was added on later because the sequel really goes into that more. And he be, he's a great villain almost in human history because he's always, he's referred to as the genocide. You know, he's always vilified for uh, doing the genocide, you know, basically wiping out the buggers. You know, nobody knows that he has that cocoon yeah. with the hive queen in it. So I wonder if that part of was added on at the end, you know, him finding that cocoon on that base. So he's vilified by Earth? Yeah, they do not, because they always feel like he shouldn't have wiped out the entire race. You know, there was no reason to blow up their home planet, especially when he wrote the book, Speaker, 
or what was the name the of the speaker book? Speaker for uh, the Dead. The speaker for the Dead. When he wrote, I'm talking when Ender wrote that book. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the the Hive Queen. Right. And then when they got to look into the mind of the buggers, then they thought, well, maybe we shouldn't have wiped them out. Maybe they were just exploring and didn't realize that we were a sentient race and you know meant no harm. Right. But Ender also. I mean, you know, he was also tricked. Did, did no one ever come and say, hey, this guy didn't know what he was doing. It was all done via computer simulation, and we just completely duped this kid into killing everybody, every bugger in the world, in the universe? I don't remember if they ever actually addressed that. I know Graft and, and the others from Battle School had to testify and everything, but I don't remember. It's been a while since I've read the sequels, and I don't mm-hmm. remember if they addressed that. You know, if they actually ever absolved him in that way or they just said he did what he thought was necessary oh i can't stand that he did what he thought was necessary crap come on guys grow up here and tell him what you did yeah let him know that it was your fault well you know what's crazy is that graph dude i mean he's kind of a weakling anyway he's got i mean he's got no backbone um and and it's just you know there's little moments stuck in there where you'll hear him talking and some other people talking and he's like yeah I've learned to care about the kid blah 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 I hate to see what we're doing to him well then stop you know just stop it but he he never did stop it Hiram mm-hmm. Graft always let it progress and then you find out they did similar things with uh, Bean there's a whole second series of sequels almost written about Bean and you find out more what Graft did with him. Now, Bean was the kid that ended up being as smart as Ender, practically? Oh, uh, he'll end up being smarter oh. in the long run. Oh. Yes. Well. With a what I always felt like a hokey explanation. Was he... He... he they flipped a gene in him to where his brain never stopped growing, but it also meant that his body never stopped growing. Oh, so he becomes a giant. Yeah, he becomes a giant. He ends up going into space because Earth's gravity becomes too much for him. So he goes into zero G. And I always thought that was kind of hokey. Well, That's weird, you know, yeah. His brain keeps getting bigger, so his body's got to get weirder. I'm like, or, got it. his body's got to get bigger. I always thought, that's a poor explanation there. That's just, uh, that's just weird. It um, was. Well, Jess chimes in. She says, after finishing Ender's Game... My main reaction was just meh. <laughs> I read in about after th- your own heart, Husty. <laughs> I read in about three days after being snowed in. It started out fine, but then it just got super repetitive. Ender goes into battle, Ender wins the battle, and then the rules are changed, so it's harder for him to win the next one. It got very tedious to read. I also felt really no connection to the characters. It seemed that no one was really fleshed out to the extent that I felt was necessary. People would come and go, and I would not miss them at all. I wish they had spent more time with Peter and Valentine, because I can't really grasp how these two children were able to have such an influence, and then how Peter was able to basically take control of the world at the end. The whole storyline just didn't seem to be really needed. I watched the movie after reading the book and enjoyed it much more. The aging up the characters worked, because while they were still obviously young, it was easier to believe they could achieve the things they were doing. In the book, even though the characters are supposed to have genius-level intelligence... I still had a hard time accepting that children under the age of 12 could articulate and act in ways that they were. The movie moved things along much quicker than the book and took away storylines that didn't really have a big impact on the main goals. The book, to me, just seemed really padded out. I'll need to revisit at some point and then try the sequels. I can understand why people really enjoy it, 
But for me, it was just dull. I'm interested to hear what everyone else thought of it. Overall, I would give the book three out of five. Seems like a high rating for for the review that for me. Yeah, seems like a meh. yeah. That's a that's a pretty impressive meh. Um, now uh, Shannon says Spider Shan, as we know, says, uh, "Hey everyone, Ender's Game is probably one of, if not close to, my all time favorite book." So I knew I had to write in since I rarely get a chance to join the live show. I was introduced to Ender's Game by my best friend growing up when we were probably 12. His dad had given it to him, and when he passed it on to me, I devoured it. Went out and bought my own copy and quickly devoured it again. I loved every page. As the sequels and side novels have been written, I've quickly bought and read each of them as well. Needless to say, I've been enamored in the world of Ender's Game for a very long time. Here's the thing, though. I feel as if this book is best suited and best read for the first time as an early teen. When I was student teaching in college, I was teaching a sixth grade classroom. There were some boys who didn't seem to like reading of any kind, no matter what I tried. I introduced them to Ender's Game, and they loved it. But I've also introduced adults to the book over the year with less success. It's interesting that even some friends of mine who like reading sci-fi can't get into this book. Maybe it strikes a chord better with kids at the age when they feel like outsiders and very different than their peers. I think the twist is not as obvious as a younger reader either. As an adult, I can quickly read through the book, but it's much more meatier and deeper sequels that really pull me in. Speaker for the Dead, Xenocide, and Children of the Mind get dark, philosophical, and political, yet remain extremely engaging. They are a huge departure from Ender's Game and are intended for an older audience. I highly recommend them. I'm eagerly awaiting the long-promised next book in the series, Shadows Alive, which will finally continue the story while connecting it to the side series of books about Bean. Um... Maybe maybe I'm too old for this book, Rod. You know, he makes a good point. When did I, you I first think... read it? Ooh, probably about ten years ago. Okay, so but you were so you were grown up. I, I did. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. But to be honest, like you know, I liked it. And it was the same way everybody had said. Oh, you sh- you haven't read Ender's Game? You need to read. It. And I read it, and then I was like, Oh, there's a sequel. I'll read it, and I really enjoyed the sequel much mm-hmm. more. Okay. And I think part of it's like he was saying. You know, it's it was written much more with adult in mind Mm -hmm. you know all the characters are older they're all adults now they've lived so they're not little kids saving the world at eight years old yeah which Um, i think is a a problem with a lot of people the thing about the end of this book is by the time valentine and peter uh valentine and ender are taking off out into the final frontier peter's an old man back on earth um you know there is He's he's going to be dead soon. Do we ever revisit him to see what happened in in his the reign? The Bean of- series does. The okay. Bean series has to do with Bean interacting with Peter and uh, basically setting up the hegemon. Mm-hmm. It, the Bean series takes place on Earth after okay. the events, and then Speaker for the Dead takes place well after the fact. Mm-hmm. It's that whole relativity and traveling in space, right, and time right, passing. Right. So, yeah, you, you'll get a lot more Peter in those books in the Bean series. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot in this whole thing that, again, it seems like doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that Peter wanted to rule the world. Like, you could have left Peter in that whole situation behind and never revisited Peter again, and I'd have been okay. And see, I think this is where it comes from the short story that he had and then later decided that he wanted to write this sequel. Mm-hmm. And then I bet he had the ideas in the back of his head that he was going to write these sequels about what happens on Earth after Ender leaves. Right. 
And so I'm guessing that's where a lot of that came from and then fitting it back into Ender's game, you know, trying to retcon Peter and Valentine setting up their two online personalities. Mm-hmm. Just it was it just didn't flesh or didn't fit in there very when good. Was it wasn't this, a good fit. And when was this book written? Uh, the original was in the seventies, I think, early seventies, early see, to mid seventies. And he's talking about yeah. And what's crazy now? This is what's crazy is the whole Peter Valentine situation. He's talking about kids getting online, making fake names, and impacting people with their words behind an anonymous screen name, basically. And I'm guessing that was okay. Jennifer says 1977 for the short story, mm-hmm. and then I think he. It was 84, 86, she thinks, for the novel. So at that point, no, internet really won. Right. No. Even still, you know, that's the thing. It's like, that's not, that's not how we do things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in 86, I remember 86. There weren't no fake screen names. There were pen pals. Yeah, I vaguely recall 86. Yeah. So. But. I think most of that, I'm guessing, was all at, that was all the stuff that I told you where he added it in, mm-hmm. so that he could write these sequels. Yeah, it. it what I, I guess it just what, doesn't tie into the story that well, right? But it does set up the sequels much better. Mm-hmm. I guess my whole thing is as you um, as you look into it, it's just a situation where uh, you know this is one of those things. That um, that it wasn't common for people to be on the internet. You know, Jennifer in the chat says dad was on the net in '86. Well, good for your dad, but yeah, it, I love Daniel's response. It's your dad, Matthew Broderick, because that was the net that we knew was in war games. You know, you had to be set up to do to get on any type of usernet or internet or that sort of thing. Have some kind of work network or or kind of know what you're doing. And it wasn't be until the '90s when it would really become as across-the-board user-friendly. So, um, so I wonder if maybe even some stuff got added in a later edition. You know, 84 was one edition, and he rewrote some pieces again, all la George Lucas, you know, add yeah. a little bit more as the technology gets better. Don't you dare put Orson Scott Card in the same category as George <laughs> Lucas. Not on, not on Geek Out Loud, sir. Um Shannon goes on to say, how do you feel about the government's funding and running a battle school to train children? Is that something you envision happening? It makes sense, given the state of the world of this book. That said, they really mess these kids up. Uh, The teachers have one goal in mind, and messing with these kids is apparently the only way they know how to accomplish that goal. My question is, the burnouts, how do they head back home? You know, there needs to be a book about what happens to the burnouts. Uh, There's a burnout character in the Bean series. All right. Well, never mind. He's a nutcase. Yeah. He's a psychopath. Well, because they screw him up, man. Yeah. Well, what do you expect? Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about Ender being lied to and misled? While Ender was lied to and misled about the deaths of the two boys, I always think that he knew the truth on some level. I believe it was when he briefly returned to Earth and saw Valentine that he revealed something along those lines. He knew he was being trained to be a killer and told her as much. They wanted that part of Peter in him at least. I believe Ender chose to force the knowledge from his mind enough that he could accomplish what needed to be done, and I think he was able to do that because of his love for Valentine. Thus, it wasn't really the knowledge or lack thereof, but by becoming both his siblings, he could be the soldier he needed to be. Okay. I feel like the whole idea was he transcended what his siblings were. 
Like, yeah. you know, it, it wasn't about becoming them. It was about being something completely different and better than they were. Taking the best parts of both of them sure. and merging them into, you know, the classic Goldilocks. I guess. She's too nice. He's too mean. He's just right. Um, on the computer game, he says, I think the computer game was initially designed to discover how he reacted when facing an unbeatable situation. But then it grew and developed as Ender did. It ended up helping him become more like Peter, but also more like Valentine in a way. The computer game continues to play a big part in the Ender's Game sequels, but no spoilers here. Uh, it's easy to say when it, in, in reference to genocide, it was us or them, but in truth, I believe genocide, or xenocide in this case, is never okay. While we have a right to defend ourselves, the obliteration of entire people is never justified. When Ender asked Mazer Rackham, did the little if the little doctor could be used on a planet, Mazer himself seemed shocked about anyone even thinking of doing such a thing. This from the guy who saw buggers killing millions of humans. Um, do you think Peter could ever be a good and just leader, knowing his tendencies? This was answered in a way in the book. When Ender speaks with and writes his book about Peter, you find that he has become a beloved leader on Earth. The Bean series of, no of side novels show how it all happened, so it's hard for me not to be influenced uh, by how I feel about Peter from those books. Um, okay. So it seems unfair that you have that knowledge and not, you know, not sharing with the I mean, Well, I mean, the books are out there, Steve. Yeah. You, could, uh, you could get that knowledge. I don't know that I want to step back into this world. Uh, does Ender stand a chance of normal life with the child he had? Not even close. Even Ender acknowledges that he was developed by others to be a tool for their salvation. And he doesn't know what to do next now that the tool is no longer needed. I love the scene where everyone from battle school is sitting in the room wondering what they'll do when they return to Earth. One of them says they'll probably be forced to go to school. After all, that is what kids do. Like the question about Peter, the sequels and the Bean series of books go into more detail about this, so it's hard not to be influenced by them when, writing this, when answering this question. Uh, that was one long email, he says, but it's hard not to get going when discussing one of your favorite books. I wish I had the time to get into everything and all the characters and plot points. When connected with the sequels and the side novels, there's a deep and entertaining story to be found. Is that true? Entertaining? Man, I, I'm just, uh, I'm scared to ever recommend a book to you anymore, Steve. Well, <laughs> I'm just asking, is it true that they, they, they're entertaining? The, the rest of the books? Mm -hmm. I, I enjoyed the sequels a lot more than I did this one. Okay. I mean, after a while, I didn't as much, kind of like movies, you know? Right. Uh, you start getting too many movies, and then sometimes they go downhill. Sometimes you end up with a Spider-Man <clears throat> 3. That's true. That's true. And the last thing we want is a no. Spider-Man 3. No, we do not. Uh, Andy Lindemann, let me Google that for you, Lindemann, says, Hey, gang, I am so happy that I finished the book on time this month. Slacked on work yesterday and finished the remaining two-thirds of the book. This was probably the fourth time I've read this book. And even though I know about the twist in the end, after the shock from the, reading, the from the first reading, every other time I feel sorry for Ender and how he is pushed to his physical, mental, and emotional limits. Orson Scott Card does a good job of showing the anguish that Ender goes through and that is what allowed me to reread this book. I did see the movie, and I thought it paled in, uh, in comparison to the book. So much of this book is Ender's thoughts and feelings, and it's hard to get that on screen. Funnily enough, I've been recommending this book to my students for the last couple of years, but after this last reread, I may have to ease up a bit. I forgot how much language was in the book. Nothing like The Martian, but still. On the flip side, the book slows down a lot for me with discussions of Locke and Demosthenes. While somewhat important, I feel like it took away from Ender's story. I tend to agree. Um, and again, I think it's I think that was all added in in order to write the sequels. Yeah, I uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. The minute they took him off planet and took him to start training, 
and he'd hooked up with his buddies and everything, and they were doing all these things. I, in my mind, I said, he's actually controlling ships out there, and they're wiping out the buggers. Um, but I think they had to do that. You know, to get the result that they wanted, they couldn't tell him that he was telling actual human beings because they had to hope that he didn't figure it out. Because who's going to say, who's going to tell a bunch of people, you know, how often do you have a commander that's willing to tell half his crew, your cannon fodder? Right. Get out there, try and distract as much as you can, try to stay alive as long as you can. Because, I mean, he did, and he was fairly heartless about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why they needed the kids. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, I th- the twist about him, they, that that was actually going on, I, I kind of called that early on. Yeah. When it started to happen. I'm like, okay, I see. What, you know, because they went from real-time actual combat with other people to suddenly it's all on a computer screen in simulation. And I'm like, well, this isn't yeah. simulation. This is actually something going on out there. And then the even bigger twist of the buggers talking to him and explaining that they were sorry and I'm like, okay, this is, uh, I kind of saw that coming too. Um, I'm like, that's just, this man, quite frankly, Orson Scott Card had screwed with this kid's head so much about this book. I'm like, there's just got to be one more big, you know, screw in his head, you know, just to, just to really mess him up. And it will be that they are sorry and they were trying to communicate the best way they knew how. Yep. I could, I, I see your point because I do think that, uh, or he had to do something to save him a little bit. I mean, if, if the buggers were truly wiped out, then do you really feel the sympathy for Ender that you do at the end of this book? Because you kind of get a little bit of sympathy because you're like, well, he didn't wipe him completely out, and he's trying to save the race. You know, yeah. he made a mistake, and it was an awful one. He almost destroyed an entire sentient race. But now he's at least trying to bring them back. I mean, I yeah. feel I feel sympathy for him because of how much... The kid got screwed with. I felt simply the minute that he's, you know, in a bunk in a room with people that don't want him there. And I'm like, just let the kid go home. You know? Um, that's, I mean, that's where I was at. I'm like, this is just, bless this kid's heart. You know, he's just, it's too much, too much on him. They did really put this poor kid through the ringer. Yeah. It, it is awful what they did. Yeah. And, you know, and like I say, my thing is, and I'm not trying to be a, I'm not trying to be a smartest guy in the room kind of person here. And I know it sounds that way, but at the end of the day, I'm just, I'm listening to this guy. I'm I'm reading this thing or listening to the story. And I kind of, like I say, I kind of knew what was coming. You know, it did seem, and maybe it's just because, and I don't want to say, well, it's just scientific trope or science fiction trope because maybe everyone's kind of taking those kind of twists from him. From Orson Scott Card. I mean, if you've read Armada, there's a big twist there at the end. Of uh, not gotten to that one yet. Ernest Klein's Armada, and so it's just like it's a very similar thing. And I and I'm just like, well, hmm, you know. And 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 I just can't get out. You know. And Jennifer says in the chat they abused the kid, and I can't get over how abusive they were to all these children. You know. It, it is rough in that aspect. It really is. Um, it's hard to think of treating children that way. Mm-hmm. And then, if the buggers were truly trying to wipe us out, are you okay with what they did to the kids then? If the end result was the genocide, if they were, if the buggers were trying 
to wipe out the humans, mm-hmm. and we beat them to that. Are you okay then with what they did to Ender? No, I, okay because why not an adult? You can hand me that kids are able to do this crap. I, an adult, if an adult is able to figure out that a kid can think differently, then an adult can learn to think differently. It's easy to say, but I mean, they'd give whole seminars on in work about how to think outside the box. Right. And and it's a lot easier to say think outside the box than to actually be able to. And again, I, I think it's, you know, I try I keep, I don't know how to express it, but a child doesn't have as much of a concept of what's right and what's wrong. And so they're able to shape that more. And the child's willing to go a little bit farther if they tell them, you know, this is what we need to have done. This is this is what we need. Well, explain to me this. Explain to me why Mazer, since he was back, why he couldn't do the job? Because nobody wants to read the book about an old man. No, I don't know. <laughs> no. That's a good question. And I don't remember them addressing that. See, Jennifer, that's the thing. Is I remember. Yeah, well, she, she's the expert right now. Um, I just, I, that's the thing. Is I'm reading this, I'm like, why couldn't he do this? You know, why Why couldn't he, why couldn't this dude come back and do this? Um, and I think, well, he technically should have been dead at this point. Because he knew it was real. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, Mazer Rackham should have been dead at the point where Ender met him. But through relativity and all that science, it makes right, our right, right. trying to understand he's still alive. Yeah. Well, I get that. I mean, I understand. I understand that he's, you know that he's left his wife and kids behind and, you know, went on a two-year joyride that really wound up being 20 or 30 years. But I'm just, you know, Jennifer says Major couldn't because he knew it was real. Okay, well, then you know what? You're not man enough to even be training a kid to do it. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, to me, that is that is the epitome. All these guys are cowards and evil because... It's like you know, they're st- they still know what they're doing. They know what they're getting these kids to do, and it's just like so. What you're just going to let the kids do it, and that, and that, uh, that helps your conscience. That's that's what this is all about. You're you're too much of a of a of a I, word I don't need to say on a family friendly podcast. You're too much of a chicken crap to 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 do this yourself so you're going to put it in the hands of, you're going to you are going to scar emotionally and mentally and in some instances physically a child for the rest of its life just so you don't have to push a button pretty much i, I mean, mean yeah they're jerks yeah well, yeah like jennifer says they are the ends that justify the means yeah but it still I don't care. I mean, and no one stepped up and said this is wrong. It was all classified. I mean, and I'm sure anybody that did got promptly shut down. But what about the citizenship? What about the people, Rod? I don't think they. Under, I think they thought battle school was kind of like military school for kids. You know, I don't think they had an idea what was going on up there. I don't think they realized what they mm-hmm. were putting these children through. Yeah. I mean, it's not like. There was a massive amount of kids up there. These are just the smartest of the smart kids that are going up there. And they're like, well, they're taking the best of our generation to train them to be the best soldiers so that we can defend ourselves against the buggers. Yeah, but there's a lot more going on in the government situation than just that. I mean, they've got population control happening. 
They've got, you know, and anyone who happens to be a third is like some kind of outcast, some kind of social outcast or some such. It just gets weird. Like the whole, the society, the rules of this society are so messed up to me that it's hard for me to get involved. And, and there's not a character in the book that I liked. None of them, huh? No. I think you would like Ender in the sequels. As Ender becomes an adult, I feel like you would like him a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I know you're probably not, but if you, uh, you ever get the chance, I would recommend the second one. I think you would like it. Yeah, what's the second one called? Speaker for the Dead. Speaker for the Dead. And it's Ender going to a planet where they've discovered another sentient race. Mm-hmm. And person has died there, and they've the Speaker for the Dead ends up becoming almost like a religion. Right, they, right. They, they touched on that, and so they've requested a speaker. Somebody has died, and they've requested a speaker, and so Ender is going there to be a speaker. And it just so happens to be this other planet where another race is. And so the humans are trying to live side by side with this other race after the unfortunate incident with the buggers. Mm-hmm. And that's where the buggers are repopulated. And, of course, Ender is also not living under Ender Wiggins. I can't remember what name he uses. But anyway, you know, he doesn't want to be known as the Xenocide. Right. He's, he's turned into a villain. You know, he essentially did what he thought was necessary to save the human race and <clears throat> is forever a villain for it. He thought what he did was necessary in the confines of basically a glorified video game. Yeah. This now see, and that this whole concept of him being vilified for his actions is kind of ticking me off with the society in this book because it's like, no, you don't get to make that call, people, because you sent these children up there to do something. Not only that, it's not he didn't know. Someone needs to step forward and say, kid didn't know, guys. Yeah, but I think they're more like, uh yeah, yeah, hate him. Don't talk about what we did. <laughs> Let's not discuss what we put this kid through. See, this is the kind of situation where I want to step into the page of this book and re- and lead some kind of revolution. Do you want to be the guy leading the charge saying, bring our children home? Not only bring our children home, but everyone get your crap straight. You are a bunch of evil fart heads, and it's time for you to feel my wrath. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, yeah, it is very... It's, I guess I sympathize with Wrath a little more because of the sequel. Same with Peter. And uh, was it Andy or Mark? I get we had a, we had a couple emails, so I get confused. Talk about reading the books with the perspective of the sequels and understanding the characters a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And so it makes it a little easier rereading the book if you know more of Graf's backstory and how he turns out. Right. He turns out as a fat old. Uh fat old ex-military guy apparently can't even yeah, fit well, in his chair old Harrison uh, I don't know if you knew that did Harrison Ford put on the weight Harrison Ford was Hiram Graff in that movie oh yeah yep that was Harrison Ford well so do you recommend the movie uh it's a popcorn movie it's you know it's about as close to the book as I think they were going to get there was a big thing in the interview about that where he they kept wanting to make Ender 16 in the book and wanted to have a love interest, and Orson Scott Card would not allow them to make the movie. And he talked about how they'd get the contracts, and they'd say, well, we want Ender to be within three years of 13. And he said, no, because then you can make him 16. And <laughs> It was a long time for this movie to get made because mm. he was pretty adamant about keeping Ender young. Mm-hmm. 
Is he still alive? Ender? Uh, Orson Scott Card. Yes. Okay. Yes, he is still still writing. I don't know how many books are in the series now. See, this is we need to get him on the show so I can be like, why are you abusing kids, Orson? He's got a lot of interesting stuff to say that a lot of people don't like. Well, so I don't know if you want him on the show or not. It'd be good, good publicity for the show. Would it? Yeah. Well, I know, and I, you know, listen, I got no, uh, I got no qualms with telling someone I disagree with them on something. Jennifer says he's not too far from her. Jennifer's in Texas. I thought Jennifer was in uh, no, North they, Carolina. They moved. No, she moved. Yeah. I'm behind. They're in Texas. Never mind. So, Coach is in North Carolina. Get Coach Hill. Yeah, Hill. get Coach Hill to go get him. Coach. Uh, yeah. Coach Hill, this is a this is a personal shout out to you on the podcast. I need you to go to Greensboro, North Carolina, and uh, get Orson Scott Card to call in to nine one two three eight six four two nine four. So and explain the evil treatment of children. To he's us. not too far from where Doc is either. Doc, go find him. Get him to call in. He but teaches uh, at the now uni. He's, writing a, he's actually writing a prequel trilogy on the war. Like the first bugger invasion. Oh, really? Yeah. The Formic Wars. <clears throat> the Formic Wars. Sounds he teaches at university. He teaches at UNCG, apparently. Lectures. Hmm. We need to go to UN. All right. Road trip. Goldiverse road trip to UNCG to go uh, hear Orson Scott Card do a lecture and then nail him down for the Goldiverse afterwards. So, and give an offer him a t-shirt. Yeah. Because everybody likes a free t-shirt. Who's with me? Who's awesome. with me? <laughs> I don't know if this will work, but we'll give it a try. Shoot. I'll go. I'll find I, out. I've been told no before. So yeah. Say. I mean, what's the worst could happen? Mr. Scott Card, sir, I drove all the way from Georgia to come talk to you about uh, your views on child abuse in your books. Um, can we speak on my podcast? Here's the number. Feel free to call it. That's right. Or I've got my recorder. Let's go. Um, yeah. I'd get Rodney on the line, but his Skype never works. Yeah. So I'm just going to have to... Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to have to wing it, sir. Why do you hate children? <laughs> he... He loves children. He writes about children all the time. Yeah, in a way that makes me think he hates children. Uh, he One of his other famous series is called the Alvin Maker series. And it, Alvin ends up becoming an adult, mm -hmm. but it starts out with Alvin very young. And he writes about him very young. Um, I'm sorry, I'm reading, I'm reading the Admiral's thing here. I'm, I'm looking here through where he's at now. Uh, doesn't say. I think Jennifer was making up that stuff about UNCG. She might have been. I'm just telling you. I think I think it was all a lie. Hate, so. hate to call somebody a liar, but this book, I, I really do need to take the time to read it as a short story, and then get a better understanding of what he added in later for the sequels. Mm -hmm. Is the short story still available out there, though? I mean, like, uh, it's got to be somewhere. Yeah, it was in a magazine. It was in a sci-fi magazine. He told the whole story about getting it accepted. It was one of the first things he wrote. Yeah, I don't. We, so, uh, 
we don't have a ton of people in the chat. Uh, but if folks want to call in live, you can do so at 912-386-4294. 912-386-4294. You can tell me how wrong I am or how, you know, whatever. It's fine with me. I don't care. Um, yeah. here, here's I the thing. I, I, I didn't dislike this book. There was a lot of cool stuff in this book. I really dug, you know, him building his little army, his little team. Um, you know, and when they gave him all of the worst people at the battle school, like he... You know, he made an undefeated team out of them. And um, and there's that one moment where, you know, they get there late and the other team is basically around the door. And so Ender sets everyone up to uh, to be able to, you know, defend themselves. Like he goes in and freezes a few of them and that sort of thing. So when they go out, uh, they just take the other team out like super easy and super fast. Um, yeah. You know, and, and so... That gave him a lot of time, you know, the whole battle school. Maybe that was part of it. You know, the battle school with the uh, the battle room gives them a lot of time to analyze which one of these in the heat of battle is going to be able to, you know, when faced with something that seems like an impossible situation, who's able to do the classic speak outside the box? Well, to me, say, but. to me, it wasn't even so much as they were seeing who could do it. To me, it was like every once Ender comes on the scene, everything is about ender and putting his back to the wall in these situations um you know and and like the rest of the school they didn't care about once they had ender on the scene yeah and then there there was an interesting they touched on it in the end of this book and then the morgues it'd be uh it'd be pretty interesting to see if you had a battle school like that with children and then they come down and they go to their respective countries and oh man it wouldn't they they wouldn't be able to reassociate we got a call coming in let's see who it is i believe i know who it is welcome to goliverse reads hello hello how's it going admiral it's going good i just call to play devil's advocate about what well uh so you know you're talking about the the kids and and I, I didn't read the book as poor normal with, you know, our global verse read. <laughs> um, but I had to add my two cents in. Because, I want to tell you what I as, thought about it anyway. Because as a woman, Rod, I need to tell you both how wrong you are. Oh. What now? Well, I was just saying, because you were talking about the, the kids and, mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of, Spoofing at the art, uh, the author about you know treating the the, the kids horribly, um, but I did want to you know not to bring it down too much, but like in real life this this happens. Right. So for example, in China they had the one child policy yes. that was for I believe with the ethnic Huns and I might be pronouncing it wrong, so apologize to anyone out there because you can have if you were ethnic uh, minority or like lived out in like you know the the rural area in the farms you could have more than one. Yeah, but like in a city and town, you can only have one. Well, and if you had more than one, that kid did not exist. There mm-hmm. was no social security. They couldn't go to school. You know, they had no documentation. They were outsiders. They yeah. were outcasts. They aren't officially people. And really. this I is, mean, they have no identification. And this is something that that goes on. Yeah, and this is why we're banned in China because of what I'm about to yeah. say. And that's wrong. That's not right. Yeah. That's not good. And someone needs to but, rise but up and say. you about, you know, how, how does this go on? Don't the people, it's going on. Right. And I sit here 
as yeah. you know, as someone comfortable in his freedoms, able to just voice his opinion and say, yeah. someone needs to rise up. Some, yeah. You know, there are more people in China than there are politicians. I always wonder, with that being in the books, if that was something, you know, we've, we've dodged around it pretty good, and I'd like to continue doing that, but Orson Scott Card is known. Uh, he's an LDS member, and I wonder if part of that is his feelings on birth control, contraceptive, and stuff like that, you know. Well, aren't, I mean, now look, and this is where I'm going to show my ignorance. I thought that uh, that your LDS were basically really cool with, you know, have that quiver full of youngins, like as many as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if maybe that he wrote that just kind of as a, uh, we don't want this to happen, you know? Oh, okay. I got you. I got what you're saying. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, and very well. He may very, listen, when I get to Greensboro, I'll ask him. And so, then you know, the, I mean, the other part about like how, you know, that the kid seems just way too intelligent. I mean, I think, Mozart was writing, composing music at like age four, so like concertos. I mean, full on, you know, orchestrated pieces. So, I mean, there are cases of where in history we do have these children that are just like amazingly brilliant, even at that young an age. All right, Admiral, yeah. listen, so often you're my favorite caller. <laughs> I don't know why you're trying to ruin that for me, though. I well, will say I'm, that I I'm did, playing the I did. part of Doc since he doesn't call in. Right. You know. So, Listen, so you Doc, know, like I said, I'm, I'm being the devil's advocate here. Doc's not going to make a uh, Doc's not going to make a Mozart reference. Mm. So. Well, you know, I'm classing it up with them. Amadeus, 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 Amadeus. Amadeus. Rock me, Amadeus. All right, he was born Mozart. Hey, whenever I'm... I hear that, like I can always just think of Whoa. the Simpsons episode where they do the um, the Planet of the Apes musical, and yeah. they're like, "Doctor Say it, Doctor Say it, yeah, Doctor Say it, Doctor Say it." That's what I always think of. By the way, uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart's birthday is today. He was born oh. on the twenty seventh of January, seventeen fifty six. So. 360 years ago? 260 years ago? 260 years ago. Wow, he's old. Yeah. Yeah. So, born on, let's see, this was the, let's see, Lee, was a minor composer and experienced teacher. Uh, no. Uh, that's his dad. Um, there's some scholarly debate of whether Mozart was four or five years old when he created his first musical composition. Though there's little doubt that Mozart composed his first three pieces of music within a few weeks of each other. Well, what were his first pieces of composition? Now, okay, never mind. I'm not going to get into this. It's one well, thing. Think- it's one thing to say he composed some music at that age. It's another thing if it was like, you know, fascinating pieces of music like no one's ever heard before. I know he was a prodigy. And I, I actually did a quick because I think in my questions when I put it on there. I actually did a little quick search, mm-hmm. and I found that there was a kid that at seven years old directed a feature film. A uh, 17-year-old that was the CEO of a multinational company he founded when he was 14. Um, there was an 11-year-old that won the Medal of Honor during the Civil War. Mm-hmm. So I think there there are exceptional children out there, and maybe we're just struggling to relate to them. I don't know. You, you hear stories about a kid that's in college at 11 years old. Yeah, and that would be that would be like an ender. I mean, what about Doogie Howser? 
What about Doozy, Doogie Hauser? I mean, Doogie Hauser was the man, right? Yeah. Hmm. And he used the computer, so it's bringing it all back. But I mean, there there are these instances of these kids who are just, you know, brilliant, right. even at a very young age. And you know, there's also sort of the the I think kind of the mentality that we grow up in, where we're kind of that first generation where, you know, like kids weren't put to work immediately. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, back then, you know, even earlier, like, kids, I mean, they would be working, like, full-time jobs like what adults would be doing. But they're still doing it, you know, when they're six and seven and eight. <laughs> so, I mean, it's unfortunately, it's kind of like a, you know, you put kids in a, a situation where they're forced to grow up quickly, and they do. Is that I mean, why? there's all kinds of things with... With even like in real life, I mean, he's drawing on a lot of real life situations where you have these child soldiers in Africa where they're just, they're brought up young and they're given a gun and they're sort of go at it, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I guess that's a great point. I mean, you know, Admiral, thank you so much for calling in and saying, Steve, here's your petard. You may now hoist yourself upon it. That's what I do. But <laughs> here's the thing. Here, I guess my point is this, though. It's all of society. You know, it, in, in today's world, where we live today, someone who is running a corporation at 17, some kid who is in college at 11, they're unique. They're, they're special. Well, here it's like, well, they're not. They don't seem to be that unique or special. Every well, kid, every kid, even at the school where Ender was at at the beginning, every kid seemed to kind of be like him, you know. Well, but when you have a they, but they, population control, they could also be doing genetic, you know, eugenics, really, just sort of breeding the smart kids until they're smarter and smarter. But you think about what's the population of the world and how many are in battle school, there could easily be that many because, I mean, it's not like the smart these super smart kids are falling through the cracks. They're being identified at a very, very young age and whisked up to battle school. Mm-hmm. So they're, so yeah, Ender is a super genius at six years old and he doesn't seem that smart when he gets up there, but, and Jennifer says that they did do gene editing. They mentioned it in the book. I think that was later on Jennifer, but it was mentioned in this world. But so you have these kids that are super smart and they're all getting up there. So, they don't seem as relatively smart. It's kind of like the kid that was super athletic at the small college, and then he went and played in a big college game, and all of a sudden he's not the stud basketball player that he was for the community college. All right, when guys. You're, when you're being compared to other people. Mm-hmm. Really quickly, this is uh, – I'm going to play for us just a quick piece of Mozart's first composition. He wrote this as a four- or five-year-old. Mozart four more talented than me at thirty three. <laughs> Do what now? 
Mozart at four, more talented than me. <laughs> yeah, well, me too. As a, as a grown adult, yeah. Yeah, me too. That's that's kind of where I'm at right now. So, um, <laughs> yeah, now, now I feel horrible about myself. Um, yeah. You also, you mentioned, I have another question for you, Admiral. You mentioned, yeah. you know, way back in the day, you know, they'd put kids into full-time labor and that sort of thing. Is that why people from the... I don't know, the 1940s, 1950s looked like grown-ups when they were like 23 and old men when they were like 40, unlike today. You know, I'm about to push 40, and I think I still look, you know, about 17. Well, it could also be all the smoking. That ages you real quick, and everyone seemed to smoke back then. That's true. Everyone did. Everyone did. But no, I mean, you you see these pictures where they, they have kids, like in the coal mines, because they could get into the tight spaces and you have, uh, you know, all kinds of stories, you know, even going up to the 1900s of, you know, factories and stuff where they had kids, you know, going through the machines because they had the small hands and they could squeeze in there and, and you know, get out the, the claws in the machines, as it were. And this is where our this child labor laws. Them being hurt. Yeah, and this is and where. that's our... why we have child labor laws. Now. Right. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, there are a lot of kids in, in countries where they don't have child labor laws. Where you know they are being worked. Right, they're building iPods and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And well, I think that's the trouble with a lot of people with this book is the kids being as smart as they are, and then the adults treating the kids like they do. It's almost like South Park. Um, you got kids that are really smart, and the adults seem to just kind of not know what's going on. I did not think that I would hear this book compared to South Park tonight. Well, welcome to Geek Out Loud. Oh my God, they killed Jimmy. <laughs> welcome to Geek Out Loud, guys. <laughs> when the buggers are in, they go, it's coming right at us. <laughs> That's right. The buggers are coming like, oh my God, it's coming right for us. It's coming right for us. That's how he justified the genocide. Was he just shouted, oh my God, it's coming right for us. Oh. Uh. We have unlocked. Oh, no, now I'm having now I'm having Harrison Ford just like scream that like get off my plane. They're coming right at us. That's right. We are we are unlocking the secrets and the mysteries now, guys, of Ender's Game. And I got to be honest with you. Someone in the chat says Jennifer says she can't stand South Park. I've not watched South Park in years. I mean college age. I'm talking. Oh so. yeah, I watch it like the first couple of years, and it's like you know. How many fart jokes can you do? Right. That's kind of where I was at. I'm like, do what now? Like what, 20 seasons worth now? They, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, many. I don't know how many, uh, how many other ways can they kill Kenny? I don't know. He seems to have died by all of them. Shot, stabbed, you know. That's true. Kenny is a, we, we remember him. We remember him well. So, <laughs> well, Admiral, thank you for uh, hollering at us tonight and letting me know how wrong I am. Not a problem. So, <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> I love how nice she is about it. Happy, happy, happy belated birthday, Steve. Thank you, Admiral. Thank you. Have a great evening. We'll talk to you soon. You too. All right. Bye, Bye. Admiral. Oh, the Admiral hoisting me on my own petard. And, and loving it. I mean, I'm Good. look, I'm right in what I'm saying. There's no getting around that. It is wrong, and there aren't that many smart kids in the world as to what they were taking to battle school. I'm sorry. 
Well, some of the kids weren't that smart. I mean, some of the kids were smart, but they weren't ender smart. None of them were. That's the point, right? Well, being eventually. But, you know, they were still super intelligent for their age. And that's why you had like a select group that rose to the top like they do in any school. And right. Petra and Bean and bon- Bonzo maybe would have. Probably not. But uh, I don't think Bonzo would have. I think Bonzo was held back by his own arrogance. Oh, what was the other kid's name? Why am I drawing a blank? I'm horrible with names. Uh, the kid that uh, originally with Bender. Petra. Uh, Bender. Ender. Petra, right? Petra and then the boy. I thought his name was Petra. No, Petra was a girl. Uh, so, no, Salam is what you say. Shalom is what you say. Yeah, that um, kid. Yeah, I can't remember his name. Someone yeah. tell us his name. No, nobody has helped me out in the chat either. Thanks for just letting me. I like her. how Sarah's like it's not real. I mean, there's nothing we talk about. Guess what's not? Guess what else isn't real, Sarah? Little Mermaid, Disney stuff, all of it. <laughs> but we still talk about it and and analyze it because there's something to the literature side of it. And I have to get past certain things to to get there. So, boom! Now who's hoisted on their own petard? Steve wins. Steve won. Sarah, nothing. I'm sorry, guys. It is. I am so tired. I am. I'm heel Steve all the way. I know. So, heel Steve didn't care for the book. Listen, it's not. It's weird because it's not that. It, here's what I think is true about me, Rod. And and this is a realization I've had to come to myself. I, as much as I love things like Star Wars. And Star Wars, I don't think I like science fiction all that much. Um, not to the extent of like you know the sci-fi where you're dealing with the human condition and all that good stuff. I just think that um, I think that when you start getting into this kind of science fiction and and where the ending's not super happy, uh, I don't I don't dig it. That's just, I think that's where I'm at. I think that's my problem. You like happy sci-fi then? I do like happy. I like happy stories in, you know, in general. I like happy stories, period. I mean, it's like, that's what I, that's one of the things that I do love about Star Wars is that, you know, well, until The Force Awakens, it's a happy ending. You know, Jedi was a happy ending. And now, we, of course, we've got The Force Awakens and I've got to deal with all the ramifications of that. But, you know. I still have I still hold out hope that in the end we're going to have a happy ending with this overall story, you know what I'm saying? You get no, you really don't get a happy ending in this series. Exactly. You get some kind of melancholy going to make you think in and I guarantee you that's how it all pans out. Well, it's a lot of a lot of sci-fi does that. I you know. know. They, they always say that sci-fi is the last genre that can really flesh out morality because it can put it can put human characters in situations that aren't currently existing right? and see how they react. And then you get to a better study of the human characteristics. Yeah. We got another call coming in here. Someone else to fuss at me. Oh, we missed it. Call back caller from the 702. I was distracted looking down at something else when I looked up. Uh, so call back in 702 area code. Interesting. The animals in the 703 area code. So is the 702 area code like right next to the 703 area code? I think it's actually two over. I think they do like a little leapfrog deal. Okay. Well, here we go. Let's. Hello, hello. Hey, this is Wendy. Hey, Wendy. Oh, from the high desert. Why aren't, why aren't you? Why aren't you calling on Skype? 
Because I'm in my car. I'm using my hands-free device, and I'm calling on the road. Oh, okay. Are Safety you, first. Safety first. Are you? Are you? Are are you listening as you're on the road? Um. Yeah, I've been listening for the last half hour. Okay. I I just got off work and I got in the car and I got to listening to the I got to listen to part of your rant. Yeah. Well, we listened to your e- we reread your email. Oh. Okay. Okay. Actually, that's manually when I called this because I want to make sure that you got it because I was doing it from work. And uh, the the internet is kind of shoddy. <laughs> yeah. So now, did you like? The, explain this to me. You you like this book once you got past your problems with all the stuff they're doing to the kids, or that? Well, yeah. But after you get done with all the work with the kids, there's not much left now, is there? <laughs> That's true. That's true. No, it was okay. It's got some cool elements. The the actual school, and I don't know. There's just some very cool elements that. I thought were nice, and I don't know, just the fact that Ender Denton completely lose his mind, I think, is kind of nice. Um, kind of shows a little bit of character with that kid. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I'm always shaded with that, man, they're being so mean to these kids. What the heck? So, it's hard to, it's a hard read, and I vowed to never read it again until, you know, stinking Goldverse Reads decides to it's not my fault. Put it on the list. So hey, it's not, I didn't vote for it. I didn't nominate I it. Didn't vote. <laughs> I didn't nominate it or yeah. second the nomination. You know, so, sometimes a book comes up on the nominations, and I can pretty much guarantee that's going to be the one that's picked. And when Ender came up as a nomination, I was like, I am pretty sure that Ender is going to be the one that's picked. Yeah. Did you think I would it's like it? Popular. Here's what's interesting, Rod. Did you think I would dig it, or were you kind of, Steve won't like this? I was unsure. Yeah. I'd hoped you liked it, mm-hmm. but I'm not surprised. Yeah. I'm not surprised at your feelings. Well, here's the thing. I, I guess it's not so much that I do not like it. I think my thing is that I I just have a hard time with this bleak, dystopian future. I'm not a fan of that, you know, and I think that's where I come from. And Wendy, are you home? No, I'm at the gas station. Oh, well. <laughs> so, my, my light came on. My light came on, and I can't drive with it on. It makes me paranoid. I understand. So, now, had you read this book before, Wendy? I have read it before. Mm-hmm. I have read it before, and um, it's like um, the person who um, recommended it to me said, oh, you're going to love it because he also likes Star Wars. And it's like, it's not Star Wars, but you're still going to like it. It's going to be really cool and and I read it, it's like, yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> but See, I don't, I listen I don't to try, it this I try not to pick what Steve's going to like, because after he broke my heart with the Dune episodes, I never know. <laughs> well, look, I pre- here's the thing. I appreciate Dune, and I appreciate this novel. I just think that it's, for whatever reason, it's not necessarily for me. I really... Dug all the I dug all the battle school. I'm like Doc in this case. I dug all the battle school stuff, and I dug all the the stuff he was doing. And, and you know, and when they start keep waking him up, and he's getting sick because he can't. You know, he he's just exhausted from doing all the battles they have him do. Once he's you know up at the other place uh, outside of Saturn, um, I was like, that's when I started seeing what was coming. I'm like, oh, he's actually fighting real battles. 
Yeah. Right, you right. Know. And I think they, I think he might have figured something was up. You had to think that he knew something was up because they never worked in like that before. I mean, they were mean to him, and they kept changing armies on him and all that kind of stuff. But they never ran him ragged like that before, and they should have known that that was going to kill him. I mean, and that kind of bothered me right there. It's like, you're, I know it's a desperate situation, but you're going to run this kid until he's psychotic or dead or both or really the ends justify the means for real um I mean, and as a mama that really upset me so it does i always was kind of surprised when you stop and think about it, does ender's parents have really any idea what's going on up there do they know what their son's going through i mean obviously there was, there's no communication they always they always bring that up you know that none of the letters made it down so, he, you know, he never heard from Valentine. She wrote him all the time, and he never got any of the letters. So I'm assuming the parents. But the parents almost came off as pretty naive as to what their kids were up to. Did, I mean, but I did his... They were, I think they might have been um, naive on purpose. Because, I mean, with Peter, how can you not pay attention to Peter and know that something isn't really... I don't know. He's a crazy boy. So yeah, you can keep that... Nutty. You know what I mean? And you don't see yeah. that? I mean, you know kind of what's going on with kids. You may not know exactly what's going on with your kids, but you kind of know when something's up. And you can't tell that something's wrong with your boy, even a little bit. So, I don't know, maybe that naivete that you want to be naive about it. I don't know. Yeah. I, I uh, mean, look, that's just bad parenting. I kind of got the sense that his parents didn't really like him that much anyway. Well, he was the end. So. Well, I think they they allowed them to have Ender. You know, they weren't even supposed to be able to have a third child. And the government said, we will allow you a third child because, for whatever reason, they felt like they had the genes necessary to provide them with the soldier that they needed. So when they had Ender, they knew that they weren't going to have him for long. They knew that he was going to battle school, you know, five or six years old. So maybe they never really, maybe they prevented themselves from getting too attached to Ender because they knew that, he wasn't going to be around that long. Maybe he was just an okay, ugly well, kid. Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. he was just an ugly kid. Yeah, maybe he wasn't handsome. <laughs> you know? Did you say that ugly kid? Is that what you said? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Listen, right. I'm, conv- I'm convinced the only reason people survive past babiness is because babies are cute. Oh, heavens yes. I work with babies... That is my job. I work with little toddlers, oh. and I swear, it's a good thing God made you cute, baby, because I want to hurt you so much right that's now. That's right. Um, <laughs> and I believe that's true. I believe that's true in the animal kingdom as well. <laughs> the animal kingdom. So, no, because then I'm... Uh, never mind. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, then all the ugly animals would be dead, but... There's no... such. someone finds... Wendy, as fearful as I am of the coming animal apocalypse, there's no such thing as an ugly baby animal. <laughs> yeah, we're okay. The baby animals, yes. You're right. You're right. Once they get to adulthood, right? Then they right. There's some ugly animals in adulthood, but those little baby animals, man, shoot. Anyhow, <laughs> the gloves are off when they. I'm sorry. You're old enough to vote. You're old enough to to be told you're job, ugly. You're yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're old enough to be told you're ugly. <laughs> All right. All right, Wendy. Will you be safe driving home? 
Well, I'm almost there, so yay. All right, tell the amen, <laughs> tell, tell the amen corner we said hello. I sure will. All we'll right. talk to you guys later. Have a good one. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. From the high desert, Rod, Wendy. Yeah. Ugly you know, babies. That's some ugly babies. That was something I actually never considered, though, was with the parents, maybe they just didn't become attached to Ender because they knew that he wasn't going to be around. That's and a good would you, point. Would you have a child if you knew that that child was going to be taken off to battle school? You know, you're only going to be around him for four or five years, and then you might not see him again until they were 18, 21 years old. Would you still want to have a child? I don't, yeah, I don't know that I would. Um, you know, I, I think that as a parent, that's got to be excruciating and... Um, I just I I also got the sense that his parents were supposed to be kind of really smart though like there was something about their intelligence that you know led them to be able to have a third. Yeah, I absolutely got that feeling. And you know, they came from there was the whole religious aspect with the parents and hiding their religion. Right. So, I think they thought like it was they were circumventing the government laws. I think they even addressed that in the book. You know, mm -hmm. we don't believe in limiting children being born, but you know, if you're going to let us have a third, then it's almost like we beat you at your own game. Right. Right. Even if we don't get to raise him. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, uh, you know, what about you, Rod? If you were, if you were having, if, if you knew that your children were going to be taken, would you have kids in that situation? I don't think I would because I don't think I'd want to go through 14 years or however long it would be wondering what was going on. Are they safe? Because I don't think I'd trust the government to raise them. I don't trust the government. Especially to do much. not, especially in a battle school. I want to send my child to battle school and maybe never see them again. Yeah, I don't trust the government to do much of anything, but that's a different podcast for a different time. Yeah, politics out loud. Poll. Yeah. Poll, yeah. <laughs> See, it works. It works. <laughs> yeah, you're fired. This is not politics. This is stupidity. Yeah, I'd get banned in the U. I'd be the one. I'd be the reason we lose freedom of speech in the U.S. They're like, yeah, have you listened to this podcast? We don't need to let this guy continue. And then the whole goalers would rise up and try and yeah. do a write-in campaign for you. It'd be like. It'd be like that's the reason. That's the reason you're banned in China. We 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 really kind of see what where they're coming from now, Glosson. Yeah, so. see, Jennifer. You know, she brings up she doesn't like her kid to go to an overnight Cub Scout camp. So, pretty sure she wouldn't be happy knowing her child was gone for 14 years. Yeah. My no. parents. My parents were never really keen on me going and spending the night places either. They're like, why don't your friends come here? And I'm like, because I want to get away from my house, not be here. Yeah, well, there was five of us, and my mom babysat. So I think there were times where she's like, "Oh, you want to go spend the night at so and so's house? Have at it, kid." Well, there were five of us, and I would have thought yeah. my mom would have wanted that, but no. Uh, but see, we had the babysitting too. My mom also yeah. babysat, so there was kids everywhere. Yeah, I, my I friends used to. My friends used to come to my house and tell. Like, I had one friend that came over one time. And he's like, "It's like a cartoon over here." That was his quote. It was just. Just every kids everywhere jumping around, bouncing around. Yeah, because it was just always noisy, always something going on, always loud, always crazy. So yeah. I thought I now I did see I was I was holding off nine one two three eight 
312-386-4294, everybody. 912-386-4294 is the number to call if you want to call in. I know we don't have very many people in the chat, so... Uh, but look, overall, Rod, I, I feel like I've been too harsh because at the end of the day, I stayed engaged with the book, and I think that's important. You know, when you're when you're telling a story, that you you know the story has to be engaging, and I think that this was an engaging story throughout. And I really was. The thing is, is I was pulling for Ender to beat the system. You know, and, and kind of figure it all out before it got to the point of um, of what happened in the end. You know, I was really pulling for this kid to to swing it around and, and, and really stick it to the man because I forget who it was that he was talking to at the one point um, uh, that uh, <clears throat> that the guy, the, the kid told him, Look, it's us against them. It's not us against either uh, us against each other. It's us against them, and um, and and I just uh, I, I wonder. I kept waiting for that moment to happen where the kids would rise up and be like, "We got this," you know, that kind of thing, and that never happened. You know, to me, that would have been like the fun story. Yeah, and I guess it's just like you were saying earlier, the dystopian type future is not really your cup of tea that's right that's right and i never really felt this one was that dystopian right so i don't know what that says about me well i mean someone else had mentioned dystopian it's just kind of bleak you know it's kind of it's just not a happy future though um not i don't know not not what i see it just not it just wasn't uh, the constantly living in fear of these bugs coming back and taking over the planet constantly um you know uh all your all this different monitoring and stuff that goes on just it it just seemed like an unhappy place to be i guess but they did go to greensboro at one point and there was you know and ender was chilling out by the lake and that seemed fun so <laughs> i guess i don't know i guess it's not too dystopian but here but here's the here's the flip side of that rod you hit Star Trek, and that's not a dystopian future at all. I don't like Star Trek at all either. I've never seen an episode of Star Trek. Well, and you, sir, are lucky for doing so. One, two movies. I told you my movie experience of Star Trek with mm -hmm. the Trekkie. Right. Still makes me cringe. Well, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. So, listen, war's not Trek. That's what I say. No. War's not there's Trek. So Is Jennifer calling in, I'm confused. I don't know. She I think she chickened out. So yeah. we're awfully intimidating. We are. I mean I look. We're two men. Now I do have a question not based on the book for you. Have you had to jump into any trees lately? I have not had to do that lately. Luckily enough. Mm hmm I mean, I'd like to think that my Tarzan stunt double career is over. I I uh I still have the scars on my forearms. It makes for a good story, but I would rather never do it again. Mm -hmm. I've not fallen off a ladder, which is also good. I did paint a bedroom recently that uh, was purple that was referred to as pimp purple. So that's about the highlight of what I've done lately with my painting career. So it was supposed to be purple, and it turned out purple. Yeah, and they were like, we don't like this at all. It's like, I didn't think you would. Oh, Let's talk about redoing it. So they didn't want the purple. No, 
Nice. They thought they did until they painted it, and then they're like, "Oh." And then they were like, "So good." Screw you guys. We're going home. Yeah. So mm-hmm. well, let's talk about a second coat. Let's <laughs> let's find out what's going to have that happen. I believe this is Jennifer calling in from the nine one nine. Hello, hello. Hello. How's it going? It's going well. How's it going with you? You know, we're just talking some Ender's game. Yeah. Are now Sometimes. are yeah. are you taking up for it? Or are you are you? Uh, this is Jennifer, by the way, everyone. It's <laughs> um, I uh, I'm on the fence on this one. Uh, there are things I like about it. There are things I don't like about it. I don't like. I think I mentioned this in the on the Goodreads page, it, and I, I read Andrew's Game of Speaker of the Dead. It's like one book because I can't keep them straight in my mind for some reason. But Andrew's Game was written uh, with an idea in mind. Like he had a specific purpose for writing the book, mm-hmm. and that was the you know, and everything that he wrote was for that purpose. It was it wasn't really a story to tell a story. It was a story to tell a moral point. Mm-hmm. And uh, Speaker for the Dead was more like a moral point as a story side. So it was kind of an interesting. I liked reading the two together because it was kind of an interesting flip. I was uh, really surprised when I got to Speaker for the Dead how different it was. From different, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. It, it threw it's me. Complete. I didn't. I, I wouldn't have said it was written by the same guy. So, yeah. yeah I, was, I was like, this is, did I miss a book somewhere? That's that yeah. was like my first thought. <laughs> I, I got online. I'm like, did I miss a book somewhere? I'm like, no. Well, I, I didn't, his, you know, this, his maturity and and Ender's maturity in that book was it's astounding for what he went through. In the first one, it seemed like he should be in a corner somewhere crying. Yeah. For just about yeah, the rest uh, of his life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a very heavy case of PTSD, but he right. seemed. <laughs> Pretty well adjusted, I, and I I don't know if maybe some of that came from the fact that knowing that he had the chance to revive the the bugger race, right? And he was so desperate to prove that that other sentient race wasn't wasn't bad. That he was he was desperate. He's like, I know they're not, and I'm going to prove that they're not. And so then he, you know, that whole mystery there was pretty interesting too. So how'd that work yeah. out for him? Uh, he he ended up proving. I forget what something with the trees, and they kill each other, but. Killing to them isn't a bad thing; it's a good thing, and so then it's just again, as with the buggers, it's a miscommunication. It's a you just don't understand their point of view, kind of thing. Hmm. If I remember yeah, correctly, uh, it was they would disembowel, but yes, from that, that person would that's right. that person would become a tree, right? And, and it was that part of the evolutionary would... process. Yeah, yeah. Oh Lord! And so they they do they'd done it to a human, thinking you know, thinking they're doing them a favor. Them. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and then so everybody freaked out. Right, and, and like, they're like, they just stabbed that guy and put his guts all over the floor. You know, they, yeah, <laughs> and Ender's like, well, maybe there was another reason. Let's, yeah. let's talk to him first. I, I tried this wiping them all out before. It didn't work so great for me. Right, right, right. Yeah, but, I you, just, you would like the second book. I think you should read the second book. Okay, well, we'll yeah. see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, it's, short, it's short, too. It's not that long. Yeah. Well, I'm just not uh, like I say. It's really hard for me to get into some sci-fi. And you know, like the dystopian, I can tell. Yeah, yeah. I used to teach a class on dystopian literature. Wow! So you you've yeah. got a whole list of books to not recommend to Steve. Yeah, don't read uh, Brave New World, 1984, Handmaid's Tale, Clockwork well, Orange. Okay, well here's the thing with like <laughs> Brave New World, 84, all that stuff. Right. I don't. Yeah. Maybe I just see that through the lens of. You know, reading classic literature and yeah, and, and that yeah. sort of thing. 
with something like this, I don't have that distance from it, I guess. And I'm and and yeah. I'm going into a book like this to hopefully be entertained. And anything that I learn will hopefully be like, oh, that's fun. You know, but what I learned in this no, book... No, this book is not fun. No, mm-mm. it's not. No, no you know, and there's never... Yeah, no. And there's very seldom any joy in what's going on. Ender mm-hmm. almost seems a bit sociopathic, as much as well, Peter is. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Has, yeah, they mentioned that. He has to be, or else he wouldn't get done what needs to be done. They make him that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not Which is wouldn't be able to get done what they want him to... Yeah. 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 Now, hey, Jen... Uh, Personal question: If you got all, your, I guess you've got all your kids down for bed because you're not yelling at anyone. No. <laughs> My kid had a field trip today, so he was wound up. So I had to put him to go to bed early. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right. Well, I, look, Jen, record your lectures on dystopian literature for us. And no, that was I taught when I was 24 years old. I'm sure that I've made no sense. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm sure they looked at me and they went, who is this 12-year-old that's teaching our class? For... So, yeah. I, I did try and get a uh, new listener today, speaking of people that were teaching grad school. Oh, yeah? When I bought, an insurance, I, when I bought my insurance policy today, I switched uh, companies. I ended up talking to the girl for an hour about books, and it turns out that she was in grad school for 19th century literature. We talked about all the books we yeah. love, and I tried to steer her towards this podcast, so maybe she'll download it. She oh, great. It 19th century literature. I did postmodern literature. It was horrible. I, don't uh, think ever, I, would, yeah, I would never have done 19th century. Right. Never. No. Any. <laughs> I never got to any of the literature stuff. I just dropped out of college too soon. So well, When no. I read, though, it's not, it's not necessarily for fun because of how, you know, I'm, I'm kind of trained like a monkey. So mm. I read for more like... You know, you can do read a response theory or what am I getting morally from this book or am I, you know, am I learning a lesson from this book? So maybe if you went in like, I'm not going to be entertained, but maybe I'll learn something. Right. You got it? Yeah. Well, that's why I'm currently listening from audible.com. I'm, I'm <laughs> get, your, get your trial at? At, audible, at uh, audibletrial.com slash geekout. I'm currently listening uh, to a, not. it's not like this is going to be completely outside the uh Gold Wheelhouse, but I'm currently listening to Six Days of War by Michael B. Oren. I can't recommend this book. This book is very much just a straight-up history book. Uh, it, it's it's talking about all the events that led up to um, the what's called the Six-Day War or the mm-hmm. June War uh, over in the right. Arab world. And so I am, I've just been kind of listening through that and just trying to learn a little bit here and there. I do like, I do like, I read a nonfiction Every, well, I've, I'm always reading a nonfiction. So I try to keep, but I, I, fiction's my love. Mm-hmm. I try to read a nonfiction in there somewhere, and I'm reading a horrible one right now. So. What is it now? What are you reading right it's now? Gloria Steinem's My Life on the Road. It's horrible. Hmm. What's horrible about it? <laughs> well, she's a feminist, and it irritates me. Oh, okay. So. Well, yeah. oh Lord. Well, here we go. All right. No, don't, <laughs> yeah, don't get started. <laughs> Move Uh-oh. along, move along. Uh, listen, we've done so good avoiding hot topics today because there. Let me tell you, Steve, there's a lot of them out there with this book and this author that we uh, we dodged pretty well. I was pretty well, proud of our. You know, and I, Rod, I honestly, I'm feeling frisky enough to get into it. You know, that's yeah, all right. that's the I like it. Bring it on. That's the thing. It's like because here are the topics that I got from it are for the very surfacey things. What else is he trying to say? What? What of his agenda do you feel like he's trying to push in this thing? I can't, well, no, I I read, can't get a handle on it sometimes. I really can't. You know, is he saying the unjustified means, or is he saying they don't? Or is he, you know, is he saying that we should do this to children, that if this 
threat was out here, then that would be a good thing or not. It doesn't, it doesn't make it clear. Because so, in the end, they do what they set out to do, but they're coming from the wrong point of view. Mm-hmm. The buggers were never going to invade them again. They didn't know that. Well, there, there was an article talking about whether or not uh, he was attacking homosexuality in this book. Well, I try to ignore that, though. <laughs> yeah, see, that's what I was saying. There's a lot of hot topics that we, uh, we stayed away from. Where now, would he be? Trying. But in this book, where is he attacking that? But he's, well, a, he's a known homophobe, though. He, he is a known. He speaks out. He's a known. This is known. So people try not to even a little bit, like what are you trying to yeah. say about you know, about well that? they said yeah. they said uh, when he referred to buggers as buggers because mm-hmm. that's slang and I thought right. that's a little bit of a stretch and then the other instance was when remember when he oh, talked I didn't even about, think about uh, that <laughs> yeah I thought that's a bit I of a stretch say, yeah. <laughs> but then there was also the uh, the point where what was the kid and he was the bully yeah but in the end the buggers were not bad they weren't bad guys they weren't the bad guys so well you know. So we shot that part of the theory. Now, are you ready for the second part? That okay, this is yeah, the part definitely. I thought was even a bigger stretch. They said, "Remember the kid that was uh, he was watching Bonzo. you walk. He was watching you oh, walk. Oh, the watching, was watching that? him walk, saying that he has a shaky butt." Yeah. Right? So they, butt. Yeah. they thought that they thought that they, he was trying to say that that kid was. No, that's just things was, kids say to each other. I mean, I have. I know. I was like, yeah, they, I mean, that was a bit of a stretch. But yeah, yeah he has made plenty plenty of uh, comments that have. My, my six-year-old runs up to me, shaking his butt right in my face. And I said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm communicating. That's how bees do it. And I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> you do know you're not a bee, right? Do bees, <laughs> do bees communicate by shaking their butts? Yeah, they do. Huh. I See, had, had no idea. That six-year-old, yeah, you didn't, and that six-year-old did. And that six-year-old would be up for battle school. <laughs> he probably would be, too. Well, there it is. <laughs> uh, once again... Are, once again, hoisted, right up there. Yes. <laughs> so. Well, his dad makes he, so much nature documentaries, so he knows all this stuff. Yeah. And you go in the other room. Yes. <laughs> no, I read a book too, and everything else. Oh so, yeah. So I mean, he's he's also made a lot of comments about the current president that. Uh, yeah. Some of them are, even if you don't support the current president, you can still kind of go, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, we've done a good job. And he's the president, so that sort of makes me uncomfortable sometimes. I'm like, okay, well. Well, gangs of gangs of people beating people up is what. But he's he was he's Mormon. He was great, super Mormon. He went to Brigham Young University. He's the great great grandson of Brigham Young, so he's in in that community deeply. Mm. So yeah. So he was he's, he probably uh, voted for Romney then. It's probably a safe bet. AKA the Joker. The Joker. Let's have that smile. When he smiled, he looked like the Joker. So who did Romney? Oh gosh! There's my political. Okay. There's my political talk for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> we have we have started the poll podcast. Now, Steve, I just think of the, guy, the guy from New Girl when he tried to be trying to pretend like he was Mitt Romney's son. That was funny. Yeah. When was Steve, what was I'm this gonna... now? No, you saw when Schmidt tried to be tag Romney. Remember he said he was, he was a Romney. To try to hit on girls. You ever oh, seen that yeah, one? Yeah, I do. No. I do remember that one. I know you've seen yeah, that one, Steve. You watch New Girl? Yeah, I, I guess I don't remember it. I just remember when he walked in, he's like, Who ordered Chinese? <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite line ever in a TV show. Who ordered Chinese? <laughs> I think everything he says is stupid and funny. So, yeah. 
He so. does a good job of that part. Yes. He does, yeah. All right. Now, well, Steve, yeah. I'm going to ask you real quick. Mm -hmm. Scale of 1 to 10, what are the chances you read the sequel? Um, <laughs> well, 10 being a no. Oh, 10 being a no? One being a, yep. uh, one being a definitely? I don't know. Somewhere in the middle? Five? Is that yeah. somewhere in the middle? Really? Yeah. You should read the close notes on Wikipedia. Just, you know. There's five in the middle between one and ten. You are definitely not going to battle school, young man. Okay, well, good. <laughs> good. Good. You know why? Because I want You are not going to be abused. I'm going. I'm not going to be abused, and I'm going to stay here on Earth and lead the revolution against a man who That's would right. try to rule the whole world. And he does. I don't like it. No. Well, he's he's not quite as bad, which I always had trouble in the sequels when he kind of when they kind of turned Peter around to where he wasn't the evil like you picture him as a sociopath. Well, they, they have like him skinning squirrels. I mean, they have him skinning squirrels. And they say yeah. that children who abuse animals are sociopaths. So then what do you, you have that's what you have to be saying when you're you're skinning squirrels. Yeah, but there's that yeah, moment, I mean, there is a moment where in the, in the early parts when it talks about all that he would do to Ender, how he would go sit by Ender's bed at night and cry and tell him he's sorry. Yeah, but that's part of being a sociopath. Because otherwise, you know, you don't have that, you can fake it. I mean... Yeah, but that's of, the thing, it's it, it's left yeah. very ambiguous as if he were really faking or not. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, in the first book, in this book, he is written like, I predict this kid to be a mass murderer by the time he's 20. <clears throat> right. Exactly. And yeah. he ends up ruling the world and not doing a bad job at it. Yeah, like so, I like I expected the showdown to be Brady or Brady, uh, Ender and Peter. Yeah, you do. That's right. But he, he actually, I, never, I don't think that ever happens. No, no. I've never read the past books, but yeah, no. No, and I think Valentine very much made sure that that didn't happen. You know, right. she loved That's Ender. That's why she Ender back on Earth right now. Yeah. Because she knew that Peter would use Ender. To his advantage, right. you know, trying. Well, he would have, yeah. Yeah, either to lead an army or to to lead a political movement, or just basically like, here's my brother that saved the world, and now let me try and, you know, he saved us from the aliens. Let me try and save us from ourselves. Mm -hmm. Maybe the power got to him in a way that it didn't. And he decided being in power was more important than getting world or the equivalent, whatever the adult equivalent of that is. Mm -hmm. So. But he certainly was not. Either. Yeah, I mean, and you think they always said, you know, Peter was too. I, I brought it up earlier, the Goldilocks. You know, Peter was just too mean, too sociopath. And yeah. Ender, Ender killed a kid, and they thought that was okay. So, what did they think yeah. that Peter was capable of? If, yeah, if, that's true. <laughs> but that, but Ender did it like they always made it clear. Ender, it was in self defense, and Peter went out and looked for it for it though. So maybe yeah. that's what it was. Yeah. And I, and I understand self-defense to it, but at some point... I mean, I can't see a six-year-old killing somebody. I mean, I have a six-year-old, right? So I can't. Yeah. Like, it freaks me out. I can't even. So, yeah. Ah. And I'm sure it's been done, but, yeah, they they very much make Peter appear to be that he is going to be very evil. Mm -hmm. And for and whatever reason, he didn't He didn't take him that he way. He changed when he started doing his political philosophy. He... he because he was writing from the quote, good guy's point of view, and he made Valentine write from the bad guy's point of view. So yeah. maybe he's missed himself. Who knows? Yeah. Well, let me change gears really quick. Jennifer, how did you guys feel about The Force Awakens and your family? Oh, I took my nine-year-old day. It opened 17th, actually, at 7 p.m. You were the first one there. Yeah, so. Um, my son, my nine years old, so perfect age to see his first Star Wars movie on, on big screen right now. 
Um, and we haven't allowed him to watch the number three because right. of the, it's violent. Um, so he's only really seen the original trilogy and then the pod racing one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when he saw the Millennium Falcon, he yelled, the Millennium Falcon, just like quiet movie theater. Nice. <laughs> and everybody started like talking. Nice. <laughs> and then he, and everybody he said, was, you're uh, darn right it is, kid. I know he started expositioning through the whole movie, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm gonna get yelled at," but everybody was like, "Yeah, I know, yeah." And I was like, "Oh, it was a good experience. It was pretty funny." Okay. I loved it because it's a nostalgia, you know. Mm-hmm. You know. But uh, story-wise, I, you know, I, I I don't think it was a remake of, of Number Four that irritates me when people say that. Yep, me too. But I, I can't really say why it just irritates me. Um. But I, I think I like where it might be going. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. More for than sure. more than what I saw. So yeah. For sure, yeah. Yeah. But my six year old loves BB eight like it's his best friend, so yeah. Well cool. Well, well good. Let me ask you then. Let me put you on the spot real quick, Jen. Okay. Is Ray Luke is Ray Luke's daughter? Oh, I'm going back and forth on that one. I'm, I'm so back sometimes I think, yeah, what what else is she gonna be? You know? And then sometimes I think, no, that's too easy. And then Sometimes I think that the British accent has, has to have play a part because they don't let Finn talk in a British accent, even though he's British, and so that must mean something. But I don't know. Cause then, I just love doing that in front of Steve because I know it drives him nuts. No, it doesn't drive me nuts. I mean, I, look, yeah. I think that obviously she has some connection to that whole clan somehow, some way. Uh, the, the he, question... She was maybe either taught by him, you know, when he was teaching Jedi, maybe. Because, you know, they did take them young. Mm-hmm. So, you know. But I... For her to end up being his daughter, I mean, Luke must not have known she existed. Otherwise, he's a horrible parent. I mean, there's no. Yeah. Would he abandon his kids like like his parents abandoned him? I mean, or his parent because his mom died. But I mean, you'd think not. He'd just be like Ender's parents. Well, Daniel and Indy. Daniel and Indy says that he thinks Ray is Ezra's daughter from Rebels. Oh. And you want to talk about blowing my mind? If that were the case, I think that'd be amazing. That would be awesome. I think that'd be amazing. Yeah, I'd be so happy if they didn't bring Rebels in somehow. Because Rebels is canon, right? They, they decided yeah, Rebels it's, is canon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everything, yeah. everything yeah, that's okay. on, yeah. yeah, everything that's post the Disney violence canon pretty much, so. Yeah. But I don't think they're going to do it's it. It's something nice to think about, but in the end, I don't, I don't think, think it matters. I don't think it's going to end, end up mattering. I mean, I know her parents have to be important, otherwise they wouldn't flash back like they did. It has, mm-hmm. to, it has to be something with her parents, but not necessarily Luke, I, I think that might be where they're going, but I think it might be a little too easy. Hmm. I don't like I don't like that. <laughs> well, well, Jen, thanks for calling in, <clears throat> and thanks for ignoring the chat while you called in. Yeah, so, I don't look at the chat when I call in. At that's all. good. That's good because because people are trying to get you to uh, to tell me about other people. So. Uh, oh no, I don't. Yeah, no. yeah. All right, all right, Jen. I look at the chat. I don't. I'm not paying attention to what I'm saying. I talk too fast. Exactly. And then I can't keep up with myself. So. Oh. <laughs> I can't imagine you talking too fast. Yeah. Uh, can you? And I'm slowing down for you. So. Well, I appreciate. I appreciate yeah. that. So we'll have to get you to do a micro machines commercial at some point. That's my husband says the same thing. He says oh. make a ton of money. All right. And well. he says when my sisters and I get together. He just can't. I mean, he can't eat. He's like, I just can't even. I don't understand a word you're saying. Well, you just got to walk away. Yeah, you got to just walk away from some situations. Yeah. So, all right, my friend, have a good night. You too. All right, we'll see you. Right, yeah. Rod, I want to point something out that there's a large. I don't think we had a caller tonight who was a male. 
No dudes called yeah. in, right? No dudes. No. I mean, Daniel, I'm assuming he's going to call in when you're doing the wrap-up music, but well, he hasn't called that's, in yet. That's kind of his... That's his game, and it. I think yeah. I think that the Goliverse is not just your safe place to geek out, but I think it's a safe place for the ladies. We are breaking that glass ceiling. I think that's what we're doing, man. Uh, you got any final thoughts on this book, man? We've been going for a little bit. No, I don't. I don't think. I think we've covered a lot of it, and I've I've kind of gotten the wrap up from upstairs. Okay, well, then by <laughs> God, we better wrap up. <laughs> yeah. Get me in trouble. That does wrap it up for us here on the Goldiverse Reads Book Club episode, Ender's Game. Rod, you recommend Ender's Game to the people? I recommend Ender's Game and the sequel. If you're going to read one, read the second, because I I really think the first one, after he expanded it, is to set up the second. And then from there, if you want to move on, go ahead, but you can stop it too. If you like science fiction, if you're a science fiction fan and you've not read this book, I, I have to recommend it. Um, I, I feel like it's required science fiction reading uh, on so many levels because I've heard about it for so long and so many people have told me about it and and uh, and tried to get me to read it since I was in high school. So I definitely say second that read it. I can't speak to the sequel, but I would definitely say read it. Uh, what is our next book in the Goloverse Book Club, Rod? Unbroken is by Lauren uh, Hildebrand, I believe is her last name. Okay. And uh, that is the true story from the, uh, it was a movie with Angelina Jolie, a POW in World War II. Okay. So, Unbroken. So, so we're getting out of the science fiction genre. Yes. And we're headed, Laura, we're headed into Laura historical fiction. Yep. Historical fiction. Laura Hillenbrand. Laura Hillenbrand, Unbroken. So World make... War II story of survival, resilience, and redemption. All right. Well... There it is for our next month. We'll be we'll be hitting that up, and maybe uh, maybe Nicole will be with us. Who knows? Who knows? The shadow knows. Hey guys, if you're listening to this before January 31st, there's still time to head over to geekoutonline.com/cure and donate to uh, Cure uh, CureChildhoodCancer.org. Check them out. Find out what they're all about. When you go to geekoutonline.com/cure and donate, you're donating through a first giving page directly to Cure. None of it goes through the hands of any of the podcast or blog stuff. It just all goes straight to them, and it's a great, great cause uh, to help out. So uh, check that out. If you can give, give. We've already exceeded our goal this year by $105, but we're looking to exceed it by even more. So if you can help out, please do so. If you want to email the show, you can do so at geekoutonline at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter uh, at Geek Out Loud, at Goloverse for all of the Goloverse shows. I'm at Steve Glosson. Rod is at bald underscore. Is there an underscore in there no, somewhere? No, no, it's a Rod underscore B underscore Johnson. Rod, just uh, that's right. I knew there was look for bald headed Rod. Yeah. You'll find me. Rod underscore B underscore Johnson on the Twitter for him. So until next time, thanks everyone who chimed in. Thanks for the emails. Thanks for listening to Geek Out Loud for Rod. The bald one, the bearded bald one. I'm Steve Gloss, and we'll see you next time on Geek Out Loud. Bye, guys. I'm a big old, big old, big old.